0: So I've been uh, praying about this this morning and and feeling a little bit convicted, um, because and wanting to apologize to to those of you who've been in difficult situations for the last few months or for the last year, and um, because sometimes church can be a difficult place to come to when things aren't going so well. Sometimes it's like refreshing, but other times it can feel difficult or hard, especially if you're in a difficult place, if your heart is broken. Or if you've lost someone that you loved, it's a funny thing. It's an ironic thing, because sometimes when the people who are hurting the most feel like they don't quite fit at church on Sunday morning, sometimes there's this pressure to to act like things are all together, or to come and to praise and sing when you don't really feel like singing. So this morning, I just realizing that, or actually not this morning, but this last week realizing that, and wanted to apologize to those of you who maybe felt like that this last year, or sometime in the last while. To say, forgive me, to say, forgive us, when we aren't always an easy place to come when you're struggling. But I also wanted to talk some about, um, or continue our conversation, about what does faith look like when life is hard? What does faith, what does following Jesus look like when things are really difficult in our lives? And it's funny because uh, in June, Tracy and I were planning to go to Florida to pick up or to adopt a son. And now, because of our situation, we, we won't be able to do that. So I was talking with uh, some people to, to preach while we were away, and I was going to ask them if they would speak some about faith um, and difficulty, about some somebody share some of the stories of how God had been faithful in their lives when things have been really hard. And now we're not going to Florida, and I wasn't expecting for me to be here to be speaking on this, but after some of our conversations about healings and, and Faith in difficult times. This seemed like the right conversation for us to keep to keep having, the right scriptures for us to keep reading. And so, um, part of of Tracy and I of, of our situation in the last few weeks, I've been um, all the more wanting to draw closer to God, wanting to move closer to Him, um, closer and closer. And so I was reading this book um, by Eugene Peterson, his long faithfulness in the same, or long obedience in the same direction. He's talking about psalms, just a, a short group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And he was talking about it, and in the introduction he's saying <clears throat> that the psalms have always been used for discipleship, have always been used to grow Christians in their faith. And he said he was talking with people, and he began to realize that the people around him weren't really praying the psalms. And he was puzzled by that because he said Christians have always prayed the psalms. And I was convicted because I thought I never pray the psalms. So I began, and Tracy and I, we talked about reading one psalm a day, praying it in the morning and praying it in the evening and reflecting on it through the day. And one of the first psalms uh, that I came to, I'm grateful for how this has, has helped us, how, this is, how God has been present with us as we've been reading these psalms. And it's amazing how the Psalms, how they sustain you, especially when things are hard. I don't know how many of you, maybe most of you probably know this, when things are difficult, that's the book that you turn to. You turn to the Psalms. To pray alongside those who ask for God's help, who cry out for God's mercy. Well, pretty quickly into it, I started sensing, or started receiving God's blessing and, and receiving... Um, these words uh, from God. And the one that was really powerful in the beginning was Psalm 5. And it's a psalm, it's a morning psalm. So you pray it in the morning uh, in preparation for the day. But it's also interesting as you start reading the psalm, especially if your day looks difficult or dark. If the day ahead looks like it's filled with heartache and loss, the psalm is especially good. And I was thinking some, as I've been reading this psalm, thinking about how when things are difficult, one of the things that we realize is that we are not in control. When things are going wrong, when the bottom falls out, we realize we're not in control. We realize that that this world is difficult, and try as we might, no matter how, what sort of technique we have, no matter how talented we are, there's just some things we can't fix. There's just some things we can't make right. And we realize that we're out of control. Whether that's the death of a loved one, whether that's illness in our family that changes the way we live, whether it's divorce, whatever it might be, these losses, these things that we wrestle with. I'm grateful for this psalm. Psalm 5. thing is, when things are going well, it's easy to feel like we're in control. I know a few months ago I did. <laughs> I thought I had this figured out. Things were going great. And then things started not going so well. Life became a whole lot more difficult. And I realized I wasn't in control. The things that I wanted to fix, the things that I wished I could fix. I couldn't fix. I couldn't change. And I realized how out of control I was. This revelation, again, for the how many times in my life now, that, that I'm not in control. That we are in control. I know some of you have recognized this, right, in your own lives. Some of you have had things happen you realize I'm, I'm not in control. I wish I was, but I, I'm not. Well, maybe it's your, your, your husband who's diagnosed with cancer. Or your daughter who calls and says that she's getting divorced. Or one of your children who's struggling. You're not quite sure how to help them or how to even pray for them. Pretty quickly in life, we realize that there are things that we can't fix. No matter how talented we are or how hard we work at it, we just can't fix it. And we realize that this world is broken. The creation is cracked, that from the beginning, it was not meant to be like this, but through sin and brokenness, everything fell apart. And this world doesn't work the way that it's supposed to anymore. There's difficulty. There's hard things, loss. Is there anything in Scripture that speaks to this? Is there any, anything in the Word of God that maybe is encouraging? The answer is yes. I'm grateful the answer is yes. I mean, not only the whole arc of Scripture is talking about this, about God redeeming this fallen creation, about God taking what is broken and coming again one day to make it right and good. We look forward to Jesus' return, remembering that He came, that He lived, and He died and rose again. All of these things remind us that God is redeeming this world, that one day things will be set right. But in the meantime, God gives us scriptures like Psalm 5 to read, to encourage, to lead us in prayer as we begin each day. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 5. I also have it here on this white sheet if you want to look at it in your bulletins. Uh, if you see on the white sheet, I've added a few bold parts there. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you can just ignore those for now. But Psalm 5, for the director of music, for flutes, a psalm to David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sign. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty and deceitful men the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted, their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Now this is a rich psalm, as all the psalms are. There's so much here I was thinking about it. I could preach out of this psalm for months. I was looking about it, all the phrases, all the things that, that the psalmist is saying. But there's just two things that I want to talk about this morning. The first thing I wanted to do is just show you just briefly how we could pray this in the morning. Pray this prayer. And if you look at this white sheet I've got, there's some sections at the top. The first section, I just, these are just brief headings, but the first thing is asking God for help. Coming in the morning and asking God for His help. Crying out for His help. The next section is recognizing sin. Recognizing that this world is broken and it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And, and I can just share a little bit of my own. As I was praying this about the Lord who does not take pleasure in evil, that wicked cannot dwell near Him that the arrogant cannot stand in his presence, that he hates all who do wrong. He destroys those who tell lies. And I started thinking about all those horrible people who do that, (laughs) all those horrible other people, right? And pretty soon I was convicted of the times of my own arrogance, my own pride, the times when I stretched the truth. And led me to a time of confession. Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me when I think I can do this on my own without you. And I wrap my whole life around doing it my way rather than your way. So it starts by bringing us to God, asking for help, but then quickly leads us into confession. But then the psalmist says, but by your great mercy, um, by your great mercy, I will come into your house. In reverence, I will bow down in your holy temple. And you receive grace. As soon as we start maybe recognizing our own sinfulness, we hear this amazing news of grace. By God's grace, we are brought near. And then the psalmist leads us to say, Lord, please guide my life. Guide me in your way. Help me to follow you. And then in the fourth section, he says, not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. He recognized that there is actually sin. There is brokenness. There is evil in the world around us. And I started praying this and thinking, Lord God, I pray that your justice would come. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come. That you would set things right here. The greed, the violence, the anger, all these things, the selfishness, all these ways that we hurt one another or we are hurt by other people. Lord Jesus, that you would come and set things right. And then the last section, this encouragement to remember that God is with us. That if we take refuge in Him, he will shelter us. It might not always look like we thought it would or like we hoped it would, but but I believe that God shelters those who take refuge in Him. So I just wanted to point these five sections out. If you, we'll talk some about this at the end, but to pray this prayer, to pray this psalm over the next week, to kind of follow these five sections as they lead us closer to God and asking Him for guidance in our lives. But there's something also that I felt called to or actually that captured me as I was reading the psalm or as I've been praying this psalm over the last while and it's the first three verses the first verse and the second verse they are cry out to God for help coming in the morning Lord God please help me Lord God please hear my my lament it says my groanings Lord my heart is broken please help but then he comes to verse 3 the psalmist says this. He says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation. So he says, Lord, I lay my request before you. Now, in Hebrew, this is erach, which is a picture of, of laying things out, of ordering everything. And I had this image of taking a stack of pictures of people, people that I'm praying for, people that I'm concerned about and laying them out and praying for each one of them in the situation that they are in. Some of them, it's their health. Some of them, it's their marriage. Some of them, it's their children. But the word that the psalmist used here is this idea of laying all these things out orderly before the Lord. And then it says, lay these things out and watch. I think here it says, wait in Expectation which just captures the idea. But, but in Hebrew, the word is literally watch, like a watchman waits for the morning. Like a watchman who's been keeping guard all night long waits for the morning light. Watching like this. Watching for what the Lord will do. Now this passage has captured me, has grabbed a hold of me. This idea of waiting and watching, laying everything out before the Lord and Watching. Because I don't know about you, but when things are difficult in my life, the last thing I want to do is wait. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. When things are hard and and you feel just this angst, this knot in your stomach, you're afraid. You're afraid for what might happen. You're afraid for what might not happen. You don't know what the outcome will be, you don't know what's going to happen with your child. You don't know what's going to happen with your marriage. You don't know what's going to happen with your illness. All these things coming together and you wait and you hate waiting. It's like, a, it's like a vice on your chest. I don't know if you've ever felt that. It just like squeezes you. That feeling like you can't wait to go somewhere just to leave. And then once you get there, you can't wait to come back because you can't stand being there. That feeling of not being okay, not being um, right, even in your own skin. No matter where you go, it's just not quite right. And we start feeling that. We start to squirm. I want to fix it. We want to take control. Lord, what can I do? What can I do to fix this? And it's only when we realize that we can't fix it. But there are just some things in life that no matter how talented we are, no matter how hard we work at it, no matter how smart our doctors are, you just can't fix it. And so we wait on the Lord. We come to the end of ourselves. And then there's peace. Or at least there can be peace. And that fall between... Figuring, thinking we can do it on our own, and that gap between that and completely giving up, there's this little ledge I was thinking of. This little ledge of taking peace. Peace in waiting on God. That there's calm in watching for Him. Now, this is not resignation. This is not just saying, like, well, I just give up. No, because we're still watching, we're still waiting. But at the same time, it's different than striving. It's different than trying to work it out, to try and fix it on our own. Because we're watching, we're waiting. This last week, a friend of mine, he's a pastor in Toronto, and he sent me this article because he and I have been talking about uh, some of the stuff that's been happening with Tracy and I. And, and um, for those of you maybe who are visiting, uh, we found out a month ago that uh, Tracy has cancer. Um, thankfully, it's, they're, they're pretty sure they are able to cure it But it's going to be a long, difficult year with chemo and radiation. um, But anyways, I've been talking with a friend of mine. um, And he sent me this article, and it was an article, uh, an interview. And a man was asking uh, N.T. Wright, who's a a pastor and a theologian from England, he's asking him, you know, why does it seem like God doesn't work today like he did in the Bible? And, yeah, he does. (laughs) And that's part of, uh, um, Bishop Wright, that was part of his response to him, is that today we, he says, we have a bit of a disability with the distance of time. It's a bit of a disadvantage for us because we read, say, for example, in the book of Exodus, we read that the people of God, they cried out to a God, and then a page or two later, we read how God was sending Moses to save them. What we have sometimes a harder time realizing or remembering is that, It was 400 years between Joseph and Moses. How many decades, how many centuries were the people crying out for God to save them before he came? Or think about Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He was praying for, or he was prophesying, speaking of a Messiah, of a Savior who would come. He lived 800 years before Jesus. What about Malachi? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the paths in the desert. Spoke those words 500 years before John the Baptist spoke them again at the River Jordan when he was baptizing people and baptizing Jesus. Great spans of time between the prayer and God's fulfillment of it. How different is that than our society? We get impatient waiting 20 seconds for people to text us back. <laughs> let alone waiting for God to answer prayer. I mean, think about our society where we drive through uh, five minutes, a five minute drive through for dinner and how upset we get when it's five minutes instead of four. Instant coffee, instant everything. We want to go visit a friend on the East Coast. We hop in a plane and we fly there over the afternoon. 200 years ago, that would have taken weeks to do that. We live in this fast society. Even when things are good, we're impatient. I don't know about, I mean, I'm probably not any of you, but has anybody heard of a friend who's had difficulty trying to drive to Nelson when you get stuck behind someone who's driving really slow? I mean, I know that's none of you, but definitely not me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we live in this fast society where we want answers quick. We want things to happen like this. We don't wait. We hate waiting. Even when things are good, we hate waiting. But when things are hard, when our heart is broken, when we're not sure of what will happen, we get really impatient. And yet the psalmist leads us to set everything out in front of God and wait. But that's not all that, that Pastor Wright said. That's not all that Bishop Wright said. He said not only do we have the disability or the, the, uh, the problem of, of distance of time, but he also said that in his time of meeting with people when he was a pastor ministering to people, that people would come and they would talk about how they'd been praying to God and how they'd been waiting for his response and how they were wondering if God cared about them anymore. And he said so many times he saw times when it took a while for people to realize what God had been doing. He made this analogy of planting uh, seeds in the fall. When you plant seeds in the late summer or the early fall for the next year, like prayers that you put in the ground. And they go in the ground and they get watered and they get cared for and you don't see anything. Then the snow comes and covers it over and it doesn't look like anything's happening. Then December comes, February and the snow gets deeper and then March Snow starts to go away. See some patches of brown, some ground coming through, and then in April, you see these tiny little shoots of green. And we think like, "Oh, all of a sudden, here it is! It's just happened." But we didn't realize is that all winter long, under the surface, God had been at work. That seed had been growing. Until the, finally, in May or in April, we see the little shoot come up, and then we're surprised. But then we begin to look back and we see like, God, I see how you've been at work throughout this whole thing. Over the whole winter, over the whole season, I see how you've been at work. This prayer I'm so grateful for, Psalm 5 not only praying it and reading these words and how they've been encouraging, how they've been strengthening me, but also this idea of laying everything out in front of God and then waiting, hoping that those seeds are in the ground and that when the snow is gone that they will come up again. Amen.